If you please stand and we'll read the scriptures. You can find them in your bulletin. Today's sermon text is from Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. It says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to, Z- to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Thank you. You can all sit. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I think, um... There we go. It's so good for you, for everyone uh, to gather on Sunday mornings, isn't it? Um, and I'm so glad to be with you all. I want to welcome my coach, my church planting coach, James. He's sitting re- right next to my dad there, so he's nice and embarrassed now. <laughs> but he's been a great help to me and an encouragement to me and just this whole process. So um, after church, just uh, shake his hand, thank him. Um, he's been a really awesome servant of Christ. He's a pastor at Meeting House in Taunton. Many of you have been there. Some of you haven't, but um, and it's just a wonderful church out there. So thanks for coming, sir. It's good to have you. And I just want to encourage you, too. You got those Easter cards. We're calling it our connection service. A connection service basically is a service where we're inviting people to come to church. Okay, so um, find someone to invite and bring them. Easter, is so, it's so easy to get people to church on Easter. So, so try to get someone to come here on Easter. We're going to give the gospel, and it's going to be a really great time to just uh, enjoy hearing the gospel and potentially seeing uh, people believe in Jesus as their Savior. Yeah, and also just uh, just to reiterate too, next week there's some important news that that we're going to be sharing potential change because you, you all know the situation with our meeting space. So there's some potential things going on that could that, that are looking good. So try to make it a point to be here um, just so you can participate in the conversation and uh, know what's going on. So that's just going to be a lot of fun. But not to distract from the word of God that was just read. But I just wanted to just remind you guys of those things. So if you have if you have your Bibles, um, I hope that you're in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, and I just encourage you to bring your Bibles. Um, don't rely on the, the programs. I know some of us um, are new, or we're not Christians, we don't have Bibles, that's why we we put that the, the passage for you in the program. But if you're a Christian, bring your Bible. It's so good to just have it, and to open up, to know where things are in it. So just do that for us, and um, it will be an encouragement to you as well, I think. The basic message, we've been going through the whole book of Haggai, it's, and it sounds impressive, but it's only two chapters, <laughs> so, but we've gone through the whole book of Haggai, this is our last sermon in the sermon series, so it's just exciting to have, um, have completed it, and I hope that you've been enjoying it and encouraged by it as we've gone through it. The basic message is to the remnant of Israel, and it's summarized basically in one word, built, built. They're they're to stop paying so much concern to the opinions and the oppositions of other people. They're to stop comparing the work that they're doing now to the past work that they used to do. And and, and look to a greater future, a greater hope. And they were to build. And friends, that's the message for us today. Many, many millennia later, God is still calling out to his church to build his kingdom on this earth. 
God had called him to build his presence through the temple then, and he calls us to do the same, the same task today as the church. We're to build the presence of God in our lives, in other people's lives, in our neighbors' lives, through the gospel. Amen? We're tempted by the same obstacles today, bankrupted by the same sins today as they were then, and we're blessed by the same God who blessed them then. He is still alive, he is still active, and he is still busy building his kingdom. And you know, we've made some observations, and I'm just going to review some of the observations that we've made over these past few weeks. We were encouraged in a lot of different ways. We like these encouraging parts. I am with you. He says that a number of times. He is with us. I will bless you. The Lord takes pleasure in our work that we do. He's glorified in the work that we do. The Lord, when we do his work, stirs up our spirit. We're not alone, we're told, in the building of his kingdom. There's a covenanted outcome. That means there's a guaranteed promise that what we do will actually work. <laughs> From God himself. The glory to come is greater than the glory that's past. And we no longer find emptiness. When we serve God and we pursue God, we no longer find emptiness in our pursuits in life. Amen? There are consequences of apathy and sin, we learned. And this is the harder part of the book of Haggai. There are, and there are subsequent warnings if we just choose as Christians to ignore God's command to build his kingdom. And that's an unfulfilled life. You remember, you sow much but harvest little. You expect 50 measures of wine, but they're only 20. It's easy, right, to panel our houses when it gets difficult working for God and for his kingdom. It's so much easier to say, forget it, I'm just going to make my house look pretty. <laughs> I'm going to panel my houses. And when we do that, God calls a drought on our life. Doesn't he? Our pockets are empty. The things that we think will fulfill us don't. And this is what we've been learning over these past few weeks. It's so easy. This is, it's another easy thing to do. It's so easy to think that the glory days are past. We went through some awesome mountaintop experience spiritually with God and Jesus and now something bad has happened and it's different. And we think, well, life just is never going to be as good as it was. The best is past. This was last week's message, well, actually the week before's. And we learned that we build more than we see. The glory to come is better than the present and all past glory. So we continue to work to expect that Jesus Christ is coming to bring in the greatest glory of all. It's, and, and, and by the way, um, that it's, so, so it's easy to think that our best days are past, but they're not. Our disobedience, we learn too, is contagious. Remember, the, the, the white glove doesn't make the mud glovey. <laughs> right? The mud makes the glove muddy. That's hard to say, believe it or not. You tend to flip it around. But um, our, our disobedience is contagious, and it affects the work that we do and the people around us. And we hear some imperatives after all this. Consider your ways. Consider that we're all tempted in these ways. Consider, the, consider also that God is great and glorious and he blesses us when we follow him. And it says many times throughout this book, be strong, be courageous, have courage. Yes. And there are four messages that come to Haggai from the Lord. Okay, and these, there are four literal messages in the book of Haggai. The Lord comes to Haggai on four different occasions, and Haggai was to take that message to the people that um, he was told to take it to. The first message was both a rebuke and an encouragement, and this is chapter 1. And it basically said that neglecting kingdom work so that we can panel our houses leads to an unfulfilled heart 
a dissatisfied life. But when we obey God, God is glorified and he's with us. That's the first message. And that was the, our first two sermons. The second message God gives to Haggai basically was an encouragement. He says the greatest glory, we'll just to somewhat review again, the greatest glory is not backwards but forwards. And this is in chapter 2. You build more than you see. The third message the Lord gives to Haggai is mostly a rebuke, and this was last week's, that sin is contagious and it leads to emptiness of heart. And the fourth message that the Lord gives to Haggai is our message today. Today's sermon is an encouragement. Haggai, the, the, last, the last message that the Lord gives to Haggai to give to Zerubbabel is an encouragement. And it's an encouragement to us to, today too. And it's summarized basically in this one promise. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. And you say, me? Have you seen me? Have you seen my clothes? Have you seen my brain? He's chosen me. You are God's man, friend. You are his woman. You are his person. And we are his people. Like it or not, here we come. Right? He has chosen us. Have you stopped believing that? Have you stopped because of the circumstances of life, the problems of life, the challenges, the sins you've fallen into? You just think, how could God have chosen me? But he has. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the word of the Lord has come again to Haggai. We learned last week of the sin that he warned about. The same day, God comes again and gives a fourth message to Haggai. So here's this hard rebuke and this harsh reminder. And then that, that night, he comes back and says, Okay, I got something else to say to you, Haggai. And I can't help but think uh, or relate with this process as a dad. I'm kind of a new dad. And when I have to scold Noelle for something that she did wrong, right? Um, there's something in me that feels like... Shortly after, I have to go back to her and reinforce my love for her. Right? That I'm not just mad at her, she messed up, and now I don't like you. Right? Like I feel like I have to scold her, but I have to come back and I reinforce the love that I have for her as her dad. And we have this heart, by the way, in our Father in Heaven, who warns us because He loves us, not because He's just ticked off at us. He warns us because he wants to see that glory self, the person that he's made us to be, come out and not bankrupted and train wrecked by sin and disobedience. So God comes to us after a warning and he reminds us, I have chosen you. The word of the Lord, specifically in our text, is for Zerubbabel. Say that three times fast. Let's call him Zerub. Zerub, <laughs> he's the governor of Judah. All four messages, by the way, include this guy. They include Zerubbabel. He's a man of leadership. He's a man of influence. He has political power in the nation. And he's a person that just doesn't think about what most of us think about, most people think about. He has extra weight on his shoulders. He bears extra burdens, extra responsibilities. Is the nation safe? Are other nations a threat to the nation of Israel? Is their general way of life happy and healthy and productive? This man falls into the category that many of us, all of us, I think at some point in our lives have fallen into. He's a leader. This man's a leader. He's being followed and his decisions affect negatively or positively the people that he leads. Alright? All of us sitting in this room occupy some level of leadership in our lives. Someone is looking at you. Someone is following you. 
It may be one person, it may be a hundred, but someone's looking at you. And let me just kind of add to this. Christians are commanded to have someone following you. <laughs> it might, and again, it might be one person, it might be a hundred, but we are commanded to do this. So if you're shy or you're timid, this, you are not insulated from this call to disciple others. And again, perhaps you might lead less people than other people might lead, but you still are called to this as a Christian, to lead people to faith in Jesus. In addition, we, we're part of a local church. Right? Small, it's smaller, it's new. Right? It doesn't have maybe as much time behind its back as some other churches, but we're, nonetheless, we are in a local church who is called to lead community, to lead neighborhoods, to faith in Jesus, to grow in Christ, to exercise, lead people to, to use their gifts to build up the body. Ultimately, to be the church is to be leading people. So the call that goes out to Zerubbabel applies to us in the same way. In the situation as the church that we're in. God speaks to his chosen instrument of influence and he sp- then and he speaks to us today too. Amen? The church his chosen, is his chosen instrument of influence today. The church is his chosen instrument of influence today. We are leading people. And we should be. And as people marked, look, we are marked with high responsibility in that leadership process. And we're encouraged in our text in two ways. And this is going to be the rest of our sermon. We're encouraged in two ways. Number one, as the instruments God has chosen to use to build his kingdom, we should expect that the world around us will often be in flux. And I, I chose that word, and I couldn't help but think of the flux capacitor in Back to the Future. Whoever's seen that will laugh. <laughs> but the world, we should expect that the world around us is going to be in flux. Verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and horses. And the riders shall go down, every one by their sword of his brother. The world we live in shakes and is shaken often. There are times of great peace, but there are times of great commotion. As leaders, we are not to be surprised when our worlds are shaken up. Amen? Because it will happen. It is promised to happen and it is caused by God himself. Isn't that interesting in our text? We don't think of God as causing these things, but he does. I am the one in this, he says, directing history. If we recall, we saw the Lord shaking in chapter 1, the heavens and the earth. So this theme has come back again in chapter 2. Should we expect then times of shaking in the world that we live in? Universal concussions? Amen? But is God not in control? Is he not in it? Is he not over the concussions of your life? The situations that you endure as Christians, the problems that you face, getting fired from a job or a sickness or whatever it might be. Is he not in this? Will he not conquer all of these kingdoms? Do you guys remember the great statue in the book of Daniel, this vision of the great statue? We have the head of gold. And then we have the breasts, legs, and feet of mixed iron mixed with clay. And they all represented the kingdoms of the world that would rise and fall. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, 
right? And depending on if you're a futurist or not, the revived Roman empires and the, and the ten wiggling toes, right? Like, so, so, and what happens to this great statue in the vision? A great rock smashes the thing to smithereens, and the rock represents Christ. That Christ ultimately will conquer all of his opposition. Any system that rises against Christ and his church will not succeed. It won't. It might have its day for a little while, but ultimately it will not succeed. But we are to expect that things will get shaky. Jesus wins every time though, every time. And the simple message here is don't be shaken when things get shaky. Don't get shaken when things get shaky. Expect that they will, but Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Things will get shaky for you as a Christian and for us as a church. Expect it. But let's not get shaken when things get shaky. You know, I only know of one way to not be shaken by shaky things. Don't touch them. Right? Don't touch them. You see that bull bucking and kicking? Don't get on its back. When I was... um, I, I, I owned this, uh, this small landscape business for a little while, just to make some extra coin. And I, I was cutting this fence pole uh, that had already been down. We were trying to get it into a dumpster. It was too long. So we had that little sawzall, if you know what a sawzall is. We put it on the table. A friend of mine's cutting things. And sawzalls are powerful. You can cut, those, those things can cut through anything. So like, the thing's shaking all around. So I'm like, alright, we need to hold this still. And normally you'd use, the, you'd use a vice. But we didn't have one. So I was the vice. So I grab onto this thing. And the harder I grabbed onto this thing, the more the vibration of that, of that metal pole just shook my entire body. And if you've ever held onto anything shaking like that, you'll know what I mean. It's almost as if I became one with that pole. Friend, if you're one with a shaky world, oh, when it gets shaky, you'll get shaky. So I only know of one way. One way. Don't hold on. The tighter I hung on, the more it violently shook me. And the principle is simple. The more I'm attached, the, the more that we are attached to things of this world, the more we'll get shaky when those things get shaky. Friend, is your heart attached to something in this world, to money, to acclaim, to status? Is our heart attached to the size that our, of our church that it might become really big? Because, oh gosh, if it doesn't happen, when things get shaky and turbulent, then we'll get, we'll get all out of control. We'll get shaky. Our lives will be just incredibly impossible to live. Are your hearts attached to financial prosperity? Well, what happens when the stock market crashes? When your house is worth $100,000 less than when you bought it? What happens then? Does your world fall apart? When it shakes, so will you. You know, we got to hold those things, palm up, like this. And God wants them, he can have them. So we're not to get shaken when things get shaky, and they will. Our text also reminds us that it's not the weak things that God disturbs. You know, he doesn't just, he doesn't say, oh, your hamster died. Oh, bummer. (laughs) Right? It's not the weak things that God disturbs. It's not what we're talking about here. He says, I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms, of nations. 
These are big deals. This is not no light thing. Chariots and their riders, horses and their riders, they will go down. Kingdoms, chariots, soldiers, governments, rulers, economic success, military infrastructure will be conquered and ultimately destroyed by the coming presence of Jesus Christ. If your hearts are attached to those things, when Jesus shakes them up, you're going to be shaken with them. And, and you know, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, who is the god of this world, the general of the principalities and powers, he's going to have his day too. He's going to get shaken up and conquered because Jesus wins. Our text says, I am about to do this. I am about to, under that, underline that in your Bible. I am about to do this. Shake the nations. And here is where we live, friends. That brief period where the devil knows that he has but a short time. That brief period where the devil knows that he has but a short time in the book of Revelation. That's what it says about the devil. It says, this is your hour in the power of darkness. That promise is here. It's now. But an hour doesn't last very long. An hour is pretty short. Times of concussion will be put to an end of the conquering feet of Christ himself. And when Jesus puts an end to that commotion is coming, excuse me, in that day when Jesus puts an end to that commotion, that's coming. It's about to happen. So don't be surprised, friends, when the world and its systems and your life gets all shaken up and dis- discombobulated. Is that a word? Don't be surprised when that bull starts kicking, because he will. Don't be shaken when the world gets shaky. Call out to that shaky world, to your enemies, to the hostility. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because he's about to come. The hour is almost over. Amen? So as the instruments God has chosen to build his kingdom, we should expect that the world around us is going to be in flux. It's going to have concussions. And our second expectation here as leaders is that we should expect to be in his care. We should expect to be in his care. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you. I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. On that day, that is, on the day when the world starts getting shaky, I will take you. Isn't that interesting? As we seek to build God's kingdom on this earth, And as we experience this commotion all around us, from this world and from our foe Satan, God immediately takes us. God immediately grabs us in. He snatches us up and is our defense. He doesn't say, you know, on that day when things start getting shaken up, you know, fight real hard, Zerubbabel, because you're on your own. He doesn't say that. He says, when it happens, I will take you. Oh, good news it is, friends. When the Lord calls us to do his marvelous work of rising up and building his kingdom, when he calls us to do this, though the mountains should fall into the sea, I will not fear, for the Lord our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in shaky times. Amen? That bully... Oh, I got picked on so much when I was a kid. 
Uh, when I was like, I did. My dad's laughing. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. <laughs> When I was like, I don't know, ages like 8 to 12, it stopped after that. But, um, oh, there was so, bullies would pick on me, you know, and they would stare down their ugly noses and pick on me. And, oh, it was just always such, so terrible for me to experience that. Oh, there's a bully in this world and he's picking on us. But we have a big brother that shows up and he steps in between. We're not on our own. He takes us. I will protect you and care for you. And cause you to succeed. And here's how God does this in our text. First, he reminds us that he has chosen us. We are his chosen instrument. We are God's property. We belong to him. Amen? Amen. Before your salvation, you were overseen. Your life was overseen by the Lord, the God of this world, Satan. But when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you became someone else's property. We are owned as his elect people. Amen. We are property of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords Amen. and creator of heaven and earth. Friend, we belong to someone. Your life is not your own. And that should give your hearts great calm and great hope in times of trouble. Inscribed on our lives is this. Property of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Someone once said, whom God makes choice of he makes use of. Whom God makes choice of, he makes use of. So we're not just the property of God, we are the instrument of God. We are the soldiers of God, the workers of God, sent in this world to live our lives on mission. To do something for our great God and King. Stay Amen? That's Stay right. I will... I lost my spot now. <laughs> Where was I? Um, who, who God makes choice of, he makes use of. Friend, have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that? Whom God makes choice of, he makes use of? God chooses us not to just be his, but to be used by him, to be the salt of the earth, to bring the message of hope in Christ to people. Oh, you may have fallen and you may have forgotten that basic message, but God has chosen you to use you. And you might not have been used for a long time, or maybe, maybe you haven't realized you haven't been used for a long time. But today is the day to see it again. To revive your inner person, to realize God's election and call on you to be used wonderfully by him. Amen? He has chosen you, friend. He has chosen you. Don't look at the person on the side of you. He has chosen you. I fear that we think our work is just too insignificant and too small. What does it matter? Who cares what we do? It matters. He has chosen us. We belong to him and he will use us. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 says this. Jesus is head of the chosen remnant. As you come to him, it says in chapter 2 verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus Christ himself is chosen of God and because Jesus Christ himself is chosen of God, he is the possession and instrument of God's divine will, as are we. As are you. Oh friend, you have so much worth, so much value, so much usefulness. Do you know that? Have you forgotten that? Oh, I pray today is the day where you remember it. That you leave your past trials and shaken lives behind you and look forward to the glory to come that you get invited to be a part of. And because God has chosen us, he has made us as a signet ring. 
He has made us as a signet ring. And this leads to the second way God reminds us of his care. I have chosen you. And second, I will make you a signet ring. Now this is kind of foreign language to us. We don't really understand what signet rings are because we don't use them anymore. Let me just kind of explain. When we're about the business of honoring God, God honors us. When we're about the business of honoring God, God, God honors us. Because Zerubbabel was not driven by his fear of the nations, and he was faithful to obey God, his family himself and his family became a signet ring. God honored him. That's what that, that means to be a signet ring. That means that God would preserve in Zerubbabel's family line, um, he would preserve his family family's rule, and ultimately he would do this by having Jesus Christ himself descend from his loins. Jesus Christ, the great king, the king of kings, would come from Zerubbabel himself. The, governors, the governor of governors, the king of kings, the lord of lords, right couched at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 in that great genealogy where we see the family line traced back is Zerubbabel's name. There he is. Read it. He's there. He says, I will make you a signet ring. Zerubbabel, you have decided, unlike many of people before you, to obey me, to follow me, to do what I say. And because of that, Zerubbabel, I have think uh, there is a glory to come that you don't know about. Oh, friends, sometimes we don't see the glories that God does. But sometimes we die before we see them. But God does such great things through us. And, and don't, don't let the slowness sometimes of ministry let, get you to think that what you do doesn't matter. It does matter. There are things that are happening that you don't see that God sees. And we're to remember that. We are the signet ring on the finger of God himself. From his line, from Zerubbabel lines, would spring the Messiah. He was a signet ring. A ring on God's finger. And you know what this does? It identifies the delight God has in us and Christ, who is the ultimate signet ring. He says, I have set you as a signet, a seal, on my arm and on my heart in Song of Solomon. We are the picture and the locket that God hangs around his neck. If God had a locket hanging out around his neck and he opened it, we'd be in there. How awesome is that? The great arm of God is tattooed with the love that he has for you in his church. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that fantastic? What are you going through that is worse than that glory? It's not to be compared. The dominion of the Father. Oh, you know what the signet ring does too? It also identifies power, authority, dominion. The dominion of the Father has entrusted to Christ and his people. Princes would sign, it was like their signature. They would put their signet ring down on a piece of paper so they would know who it came from. It comes with its authority. We see this in the book of Esther in chapter 3. Our Lord Jesus is the signet on God's right hand for all power is given to him and comes from him. By him the great charter of the gospel is signed and ratified and it is in him that all of the promises of God are yea and amen, yes and true. They will happen because the authority is in Christ. And friends, when we rise up and we build, the word says, I give you all authority. Amen? We come as ambassadors of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to close our sermon now. We'll just be a few more minutes. <clears throat>
So as we close this sermon series with this final message, I want to just remember, I want you to remember, I want me to remember that God has called us. He has called you and I to lead. He has chosen us to do this great work of building his kingdom. Rise up and build. Right? Now you might be visiting here, you might be from another church, but that call is to you too. Rise up and build. We are the instruments that God has chosen to build his kingdom. And we can just kind of meditate on that for a while and be blown away by God's great graciousness to us. I look at my life and all of the times I've forgotten that and I've been seduced by pleasures and shiny trinkets and stupid things and I, I get lost in it and I end up so depressed and bankrupt. Why do we go back to it? And then when I come to Christ, my heart is filled and we press on. And thank God that God is gracious. The Bible says that God is slow to anger. Um, there, there's, it's a Hebrew idiom. Um, when you read the original Hebrew and you read it literally, it says that God has a long nose. Right? Um, in, the, in the idea in the Hebrew mind is when you get mad, um, your, your face gets red. Right? So your nose gets red. So if God has a long nose, it takes, him, it takes it longer to get red. You know what I mean? So it takes, in other words, it takes you, uh, it takes a, a real long effort to tick God off. He is slow to anger with us. And thank God for that. Because I look at the, 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 tra the tragedy of sin in my life and God how God has rescued me and chosen to use me as his instrument. And friend, that's you this morning. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, as a Christian, you can get up today. And that is the story of what we find in Israel, too. In, in, in these short two chapters in Haggai, we find a nation, um, it, after they had been um, let out of Babylon, who were just kind of like on and off, building the temple. They'd build it, they'd stop. They'd build it, they'd stop. They'd build it, they'd stop. And it was just going through this. And God didn't just smush them under his big thumb. And say, okay, I'm just going to create new people out of the, the rocks and they'll obey me. He keeps using them. He gives them opportunity to repent and to come back. And friend, that's us, that's you. It's not too late. There is lifeblood flowing through your veins. And God has a new day, a new glory prepared for us to live for him and serve him. Amen. God has chosen you. We are the instrument God has chosen to build his kingdom. We should expect the world and its affairs to get shaky and shaken up. And we're only going to be unfazed by that shakenness if we're unattached to it. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all the things that are in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are not of the Father but of this world. When we love this world, oh, it gets so shaky. Things get so dramatic for us. So don't love this world. Don't get shaken when God puts his finger on the systems around us. And remember that God's chosen you. That you are his signet. He takes our defense. He uses you in a powerful way. We have a covenanted outcome. It will work. What we're doing here will work. It's going to happen. The glory to come is so much greater than what we see. Because all of this, all of what we do, and all of what all churches do all over this world, is pushing us forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, he's going to reign over this whole world. Amen? It's pushing us to that glory. We learned last week, don't, don't live in the past. Right? There have been great things to, that have happened in our lives. Wonderful things that have happened in our lives. But they're not better than the return of Jesus. 
We're living for that, not for some experience we had 10 years ago. That God is good. We have a covenanted outcome. We're to rise up and build. The glory to come is promised and sure. So let us rise up and build his kingdom. Rise up and build his kingdom. Friend, don't stop. Keep doing it until you are food in the ground for worms. Keep doing it. If you don't know Christ, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you believe in him? Would you put your trust in Christ right now? Now, I think that you know what I'm saying, um, or what Scripture is saying, that when you, when you expect 50 measures of wine, there's only 20. I think if you don't know Jesus, you know what that means. All of the things that you've pursued in your life just didn't help you the way they thought they would. You want to know why? Because you were made to find that in Jesus Christ. So would you put your faith in Jesus right now? He loves you. He wants you to be attached to him and not to this world. And all you got to do simply right now is just acknowledge that. Acknowledge that your efforts are not what saves you or connects you to him, but the work of Jesus Christ that he's done for you at the cross in his death and in his resurrection. That is what connects you with God. <clears throat> acknowledge that only the efforts of one man can ever fill you, can ever give you those 50 measures and not 20. Scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, and friend, if you're doing that for the first time, um, I, I think we're all, we're all Christians here, but if, I don't know, I'm just going to say it anyway. If you're doing that for the first time, just come and see me because I want to just pray with you and rejoice in your new faith in Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> so at uh, Refuge Church, uh, we usually turn to communion every week. So we're going to turn to communion now. Uh, so we're going to turn now to the Lord's table. Uh, here at Refuge Church, anybody who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, turn in faith to Jesus' death and resurrection for their salvation. Also, if you're um, who are members in good standing with the local church, um, can participate in this supper with us. The bread is gluten-free, so if you have any allergies, um, to feel free to participate with us. And the way that we do communion here is David's going to come up and he's going to start singing uh, a worship song. And when he starts singing, um, we could just we just kind of come up on our own pace, on our own time, so you can pray in your seat, make your hearts right with God. Um, and as he's singing, whenever you want, you just kind of come up, you take a cracker, and we dip it into our, our cup there, into the juice, and we just eat it whenever we want to eat it. Okay, so that's basically how we do communion here. So please enjoy that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, or maybe you're just, uh, just kind of not ready right now to take communion as a Christian, no one will even notice if you stay in your seat, so don't, don't um, worry about sticking out like a sore thumb because you won't. Okay? We're told in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. Dear Heavenly Father, it's, it's at your table as we come to you now in prayer. It's at your table that we confess our sins that we depend on Christ for our salvation. It's at your table, Lord, that we're reminded that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation 
of your choice of us, your church. It's at this table that we're reminded of the hope of all living people in the turbulent times of this world as you restore it to perfect peace when Christ comes again. So God, would you just restore us, renew us, forgive our sin, and God, help us to just glory in the gospel that you have chosen us, that you have equipped us, that you are our defense, that we are on your finger. God, that you have sealed us on your great arm and that you love us. God, bless us now as we eat this supper in Christ's name. Amen.